give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 3 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. This is going to be a cool episode because I'm going to be doing my first ever track-by-track breakdown of a Metallica album. I put a poll on my Twitter account, follow me if you're not already, at MetallicastPod. And my thought process was I could start at the very beginning with the groundbreaking Kill Em All. I could start with arguably their greatest artistic achievement with Master of Puppets. I could start with their greatest commercial achievement with the Black Album. Or I could start with probably their biggest commercial and artistic failure or disappointment to date, Saint Anger. Well, you, my Twitter followers, all tens of you, spoke. And I'm happy to say that my all-time favorite album won. I am talking, of course, about Master, Master of Puppets. But before I jump into the track-by-track breakdown, I do want to cover some current Metallica news. I feel like over the last week or two in February, there has been a lot of news items coming out about the band. First and foremost, happy birthday, Cliff Burden. February 10th would have been his 56th birthday. Um, Really cool item of note. A fan, forgive me for forgetting your name, but a fan uh, started an online petition to get February 10th Cliff Burden Day in his hometown of San Mateo, California. The online petition grew, got a lot of signatures, and lo and behold, it became an actual thing approved by local government. Super, super cool. Without Cliff Burden, I probably would have never picked up a bass. I probably would have never been in a band. So happy birthday. I hope that Cliff Burden Day continues in future years, continues to grow, and I'm hoping it can become a national thing. We have enough Metallica fan club chapters around the world to make this reality. So I say, let's do it. Another big item that came out in the last week or two was Metallica's going to be receiving a very prestigious award. They will be receiving the Polar Music Prize. Now, that might not sound like something you know. Um, If you're unfamiliar with it, I can give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, The award originated in Sweden. It started in 1989. And since then... Every single year, it is given to traditionally two recipients, one in the classical music world and one in the popular music world. Uh, The list of popular music artists who have received the award is a who's who of the elite. Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Paul Simon, Sting. The list goes on and on and on. Never before... Has there been a heavy metal band receiving this award? And this year, in 2018, there will be a ceremony in June in Sweden, and Metallica will receive the Polar Music Prize, often called the Nobel Peace Prize of Music. That is how prestigious and elite 
this award is. So this is not only a cool moment for Metallica, but it is a cool moment for all of heavy metal, no matter your opinion on awards. And yes, I think that awards are not the end-all be-all. I discussed this in the last episode talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you're not in the Hall of Fame, if you've never won a Grammy, it does not change your influence. It does not change your popularity. But it is a cool recognition of your career. And this is a very cool recognition of uh, their career and a very cool recognition for a genre of music that does not typically get any recognition. And this could be a one-and-done thing. I'm not sure there's another heavy metal band out there. No disrespect to anybody. But I'm not sure there's another heavy metal band out there that would ever be nominated or win an award of this stature. So congratulations to Metallica. Um, if you go to their YouTube page or their website for Polar Music Prize, uh, there are a few really cool videos, including about a seven- or eight-minute career retrospective about the band. I do want to take a quick moment just to read um, the description that the Polar Music Prize released about Metallica when it was announced they would be winning this award uh, because I think it is a really cool description of what their music stands for. Here it is. Not since Wagner's emotional turmoil and Tchaikovsky's canons has anyone created music that is so physical and furious and yet still so accessible. Through virtuoso ensemble playing and its use of extremely accelerated tempos, Metallica has taken rock music to places excuse me, has taken rock music to places it had never been before. The strength of the band's uncompromising albums has helped millions of listeners to transform their sense of alienation into a superpower. And right now, we're going to talk about one of those uncompromising albums, Master of Puppets. <laughs> So I think it's important that before I talk about Master Puppets, we understand its place in the Metallica catalog. I'm going to be doing future episodes about all the albums, so I'm not going to get too in the weeds or in depth about what came before, but I do want to talk briefly about Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. When Kill 'Em All came out in 1983, it was, in my opinion, pure innocence. Metallica were 18, 19, 20 years old when they wrote those songs. And in a lot of ways it shows, especially in the lyrics. If you listen to a song like Hit the Lights, where we start to rock, we never want to stop again. Love screaming that line along with the album. Love screaming it in concert. Not the most poetic or intellectual line especially compared to what would come from Metallica later on musically the arrangements are not nearly as progressive or complicated as they would do um, the songs are not as complete as far as hooks and catchy choruses do not get me wrong Kill 'Em All was a groundbreaking album it is arguably the first thrash metal album Definitely the album that introduced thrash metal to a mainstream audience. I love it. It is extremely influential. But I'm comparing it to what came after. 
And I'm not sure Metallica ever took a, or I should say, I'm not sure a band, any band, has ever taken a bigger leap forward from their first album to their second album like Metallica did. You have Kill 'Em All Pure, Raw, Thrash Metal, Innocence. Then you have Ride the Lightning, which starts with a classical acoustic guitar. Yes, it builds up and explodes into Fight Fire with Fire, which is a thrash classic. But then you go on from there and you have more mid-tempo songs like For Whom the Bell Tolls. You have a ballad, Fade to Black. You have an eight-minute, almost orchestral instrumental in the form of the Call of Cthulhu. You have a more melodic Metallica. You have a more accessible Metallica while not compromising the speed, the ferocity, and the lyrics are becoming more meaningful. They're, they are becoming more topical. And all that leads to Master of Puppets. With Ride the Lightning, Metallica created a formula for themselves. You start and end with a thrash song. You have more mid-tempo numbers in the middle. You have a ballad at number four. You have an instrumental near the end, either as the closer or typically right before the ending thrash song. They created a formula, and that would be duplicated on Master Puppets and then later in Justice for All. Justice takes it in a more progressive direction. But in my opinion, Master Puppets perfects the formula. Now, a little background information on the recording of this album. It was recorded at Sweet Silence Studios in Denmark, the home country, of course, of our favorite Danish drummer, Mr. Lars Ulrich. It was produced by Fleming Rasmussen, who also produced Ride the Lightning and would also produce Injustice for All After. Uh, Interesting tidbit. This is something I learned just recently, but Getty Lee of Rush was originally going to produce the album. Lars was making a big push for it. I believe they had meetings, but the schedules between the both of them just never worked out, so it never came to fruition. I would have been really fascinated to hear a Getty Lee version of Master Puppets. I mean, we all love the current version, so I really do not want it to change at all. I'm just saying I think it'd be really interesting to hear his take on the production and uh, the songs, if it would have had any impact on the songwriting at all or whatnot. just would interest me as a music nerd. Um, but more so than any previous recording session, uh, as the story goes, Metallica had really developed a sense of perfectionism and just had higher ambitions going into the sound they also had a bigger budget because they were on a major record label now but instead of going into a more like slick commercial production that a lot of hard rock and metal bands of the day did um which ironically they would go in that direction a handful of years later on the black album um, they decided to kind of go for a more raw stripped down but still very nicely produced tight album um it's interesting to go back and read some quotes from the band members about the recording because 
I called Kill 'Em All an innocent thrash metal album, but to them, this was going to be an innocent thrash metal album as well. Uh, Kirk Hammett recalled that the group was, quote, just making another album at the time. Uh, quote, had no idea that the record would have such a range of influence that it went on to have. Um, he said that they were definitely peaking at the time. So even he considers this sort of their artistic peak in a lot of ways. And that's a really hard statement to argue with. I love every Metallica album. Yes, I even love Sane Anger. Uh, well, love's a strong word, but I appreciate every Metallica album. Um, I will defend every Metallica album. I am a, definitely a biased fan. But it's hard to argue with that fact that Master Puppets was their crowning artistic achievement, in my opinion. It is a damn perfect album. Uh, the album was released March 3rd, 1986. It was very funny. So the, 1986 was like uh, peak time for the PMRC, which was the Parents Music Resource Center. Um, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, it was started by Tipper Gore, who is the wife of former Vice President Al Gore. And basically, they did not like dirty things on the albums their children were listening to so instead of just being a parent to their children they decided they had to be a parent to every child in america and they wanted to blacklist and censor albums with profanity or with sexual lyrics or with songs about drugs and alcohol and that came uh because of the pmrc we ended up getting parental advisory explicit lyrics labels on albums uh, which is much better than the rating system they wanted to have uh, equivalent to what we have for movies and TVs and TV shows and uh, video games. But the reason I mention this is because Metallica originally released Master Puppets with a very uh, facetious parental advisory label on the cover that says, the only track you probably won't want to play is Damage Inc. To the multiple, due to the multiple use of the infamous F word. Otherwise, there aren't any shits, fucks, pisses, cunts, motherfuckers, or cocksuckers anywhere on this record. So that is very, I believe, like a very, especially 80s Metallica statement to make, where they were always just sort of being um, sarcastic little assholes um, trying to take over the world of popular music. So speaking of taking over the world... Master of Puppets peaked at number 29 on the Billboard 200 charts. It became the first thrash metal album to be certified platinum, which means 1 million units was shipped. In 2003, Master of Puppets was certified six times platinum for 6 million units shipped. It is a critically acclaimed album, often considered one of the greatest and influential metal albums of all time by both fans and critics. In 2015, it became the first metal album ever to be preserved in the National Recording Registry by the United States Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Uh, some other cool information about the album. Its famous, now iconic cover art was designed by Metallica and their co-manager, Peter Minch. It was painted by Don Brodigan. Ulrich at the time explained that the artwork summarized the lyrical content of the album. 
people being subconsciously manipulated, which we'll talk about when we get into the track-by-track breakdown in a moment. And I thought this was interesting. I read that the original artwork was sold at Rockefeller Plaza in New York City for $28,000 in 2008. I would love to know who bought that and what they're doing with it and if I can borrow $28,000 to buy from them. Uh, To promote the album, Metallica did not do a music video, I'm sure, as a lot of you know. They would not make a music video until their following album, Justice for All, for the song One. That is well known that that is their first video. But to promote the album, they went on a five-month American tour in support of Ozzy Osbourne. This was their first arena tour. Um, But the European leg was canceled because, as I think we all also know, this is the tour in September 1986 where they got in the tour bus accident and Cliff Burden tragically passed away. So I now want to get into the songs themselves. We're going to go in chronological order here of the album. Um, I went back and forth about how I wanted to approach this. I was kind of going back and forth because so much has been said about this album. I was like, what can I say to add to the seemingly never-ending conversation of the greatest metal album of all time, in my opinion? Um, Do I want to approach it from a fan perspective, as a musician, both? So I'm going to sort of try out different things depending on the song. Sometimes I'm going to go into the musicianship aspect of it all. Sometimes I'm going to talk about lyrical themes. Other times I might give a little backstory. And I want to let I want you guys to let me know what you think of this track by track breakdown, truthfully. Because I want to do more in the future. But I'm not sure how far in the weeds I should go or want to go. So help me out here. Let me know if you like uh, how I'm doing it. So I keep on doing it. Or if you want to see more of something or... Or I should say, if you want to hear, if you do not see a podcast, if you want to hear more of something or hear less of something going forward when I do future ones, let me know. You can hit me up on Twitter at MetallicastPod. So without further ado, here we go. With that, Master of Puppets begins. We, of course, are starting with the song Battery. You heard there the introduction, similar to Fight Fire with Fire, the opening track on Ride the Lightning. We start with an acoustic guitar. Um, Fight Fire with Fire, in my opinion, is more classical in its influence, the introduction I'm speaking of, whereas the Battery intro is more Spanish style seems to have a definite flamenco influence and then you can hear in the background right now the acoustic intro builds to this part with drums bass 
distorted guitars, and that's going to continue building until it reaches this climax. You have the accents, and then it explodes right here. Into full-on thrash metal. So this is a pretty typical intro song for Metallica in this era. Uh, just starting full-out thrash. Lyrically, this song seems to be about release. The releasing of anger. The releasing of energy. The story goes that the name Battery, which could be interpreted as like a Sultan Battery, especially when you look at some of the lyrics. Uh, but the story is that it's that's not the case. It's actually named after Battery Street. Um, an old club they used to play at, the old Wardorf, uh, was located at 444 Battery Street. And the story goes that they named this song in tribute to that period of their career. And the, lyrically, you're releasing anger, you're releasing energy because you're being manipulated. I'm using that word for the first time here, manipulated by the music. So it's about that connection with the audience and just letting loose and having that release that music is so good at. And, you know, you take all those negative energy and feelings and emotions and make it into a positive, beautiful thing. And I do want to note, as we go through this track-by-track track breakdown, that when I talk about the lyrics, I'm basing some of it on facts that I have researched, but I'm also basing some of it on opinion and my interpretations. I think the beautiful thing is about music. Any great artist has lyrics that are going to be interpreted a bunch of different ways by a bunch of different people. What one song means to me is not going to mean the same to you, and that is quite all right. What one song means to you is not going to mean the same thing to me. Both of us are probably interpreting in a different way than it was written for by the artists themselves. So again, when I talk about the lyrics, some of it's based on facts, some of it's based on my own interpretation. So I just want to clarify that as we go through. Um, I have experienced playing this song as a musician I remember uh, so back in the day I played in a Metallica tribute band we called ourselves Alcoholica we played a handful of shows in Boston Massachusetts and they were fun fun shows uh, we had pretty good turnouts we closed down a bar once uh, because we were deemed too loud and the crowd was deemed too rowdy uh, so that was probably our crowning achievement um, but anyways I'm getting off topic here uh, I have a memory of rehearsing this song with the band and having a difficult time with one of the vocal sections. So I should say, uh, I was the vocalist. So I did my best James Hatfield impression, and I did a pretty good one back in the day. I think I still do. Yeah! What do you guys think? Huh? Is that, is that pretty good? Uh, but I remember there was a section that I was just like a half a beat behind, and as accented as the vocal parts are, battery, very accented like that with the music. Like it, when you focus on the beat, it gets tricky because Mr. Lars Ulrich keeps alternating where the beat goes. So in most music, you hear the downbeat on beats two and four, meaning this one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, which for part of the song he does. And then other parts of the song, he mixes up and does one, two three, 
four, one, two, three, four. So when you focus on that downbeat, it can be tricky to play. And I think since this song is ending, I should be done talking about it. Wow, I talked for the entire length of battery about battery. Hopefully, I did not talk an entire eight minutes about Master Puppets, but that is quite freaking possible. Where to start? First of all, let me say, out of all, not just Metallica songs, out of all the songs, period, this one is my all-time favorite. It is a perfect song, in my opinion. It has everything. It has heavy, fast parts, groove-heavy parts, a soft, beautiful interlude that gives me chills every single time I hear it. It has meaningful, badass lyrics. It has several different guitar solos, including a, a, a backwards guitar solo, the end that is a backwards recorded solo. Um, you have, it, it, it freaking has everything. I love this song. I never get tired of hearing this song. And it's just Sandman, I like the song. I could go the rest of my life without hearing that song again, if I'm going to be honest with you. Like, if I'm going to listen to Metallica, I'm not putting on Inter Sandman to listen to again. But Master of Puppets? If my phone is on shuffle and Master of Puppets comes on, I am never skipping this song, no matter how many times I have heard it. I just love this song. Lyrically, this song, again, we trace back to manipulation, this time being manipulated by drugs, which is sort of funny, or not funny, but ironic, is that the word I'm looking for? That James Hetfield wrote these songs, or wrote this song, uh, because he never did drugs, but he obviously was an addict. He was speaking about his own addiction, but through what he saw in others around him. Um, the lyric, chalk your breakfast on a mirror. Apparently, the story goes that was based on a real person they knew. They were all living in a house together. They had parties. They had friends crashing over. They had friends living there. And there was a friend who would literally wake up on the sofa, chop up his cocaine on a mirror. That was his breakfast. That line just happened in the background as I was talking about it. So... It's interesting that he, in my opinion, that he wrote these lyrics about being manipulated by drugs and about addiction, um, considering the road he went down as an addict himself, even though he never did drugs, quote unquote. So I am temporarily ending the background music because I want to bring in a couple specific samples uh, to demonstrate something. So going to speak from a musician perspective um, one of the interesting things about master puppets besides the composition itself because when you look at the composition it is a beautifully done um, arrangement where you have all these ebbs and flows of 
heavy aggression, heavy but bobbing your head to the beautiful interlude. Um, but compositionally, the song is amazing. It's perfect. But, you know, one of the tricky things as a musician is that there are some odd time signatures in here. Now, if you're not sure what a time signature is, basically, time signatures give music structure. Because without structure, without any kind of organization, music's just noise. That's what separates music from noise. We have a time structure that organizes the sounds that you hear. So a time signature, the most common one is 4-4. Four, four. So the verse riff of Master Puppets, that part is in 4-4. Four, four. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four. And, and then you have a brief measure that goes into 5-8, which is a very odd time signature that's four four is the most common five eight is not common at all and it only exists for a measure which can be tricky so you go one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one two three four five one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one two three four five so let's hear that first riff um so i can so you can hear the actual recording rather than my stupid singing and I'm going to be speaking over it though to demonstrate my point. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one two three four five. Did you hear it? So again, I apologize if I am getting too into the weeds here or if I'm being too much of a nerd or too much of a music teacher, which is what I am actually for uh what i do as a career but you know you can let me know uh for future track by track breakdowns if you want me to get this in the weeds or not a book here with me called justice for all the truth about metallica by joel mctiver it came out in 2004 so it's a little bit updated but he has a whole chapter dedicated to the master puppets album and i just want to read the description of the thing that should not be because i think it so perfectly summarizes what this song sounds like it says after Master of Puppets lies to a halt, with an echoing hail of evil laughter, created to emulate the puppet masters of its title, a truly weird song begins. This is the thing that should not be. Heaviest song on this album, or on any that Metallica had produced to date. It's very, very powerful, based on a slow, lurching, almost slimy riff that resembles some huge wounded beast dragging itself along the seabed, and boasts lyrics to match. It's a brilliant, inspired piece of composition. Heffield's lyrics, a sinister barrage of references to the Great Old One lurking beneath the sea, hint back towards the Lovecraftian mysteries of Ride the Lightning's The Call of Cthulhu. 
its own title referring to the mythical tentacle-faced monster Cthulhu. So I love how he describes the rift. Slow, lurching, almost slimy rift that resembles some huge wounded beast dragging itself along the seabed. Because that is exactly, in my opinion, what this rift sounds like. And it's just so, it's perfectly mashed with the lyrics themselves. I do also want to focus on the part where he says, a truly weird song. So I read this book years ago, like back in 2004 when it first came out. And all these years later, this description and praise for the thing that should not be has stood out to me. And I've remembered it for some oddball reason. Because prior to reading this book, I never really heard the thing that should not be as a weird song in the Metallica catalog. But when you listen to Kill Em All and you listen to Ride the Lightning and you listen to the rest of Master Puppets, there's no other song they ever recorded up to this point that sounds like the thing that should not be. It is so unique in their catalog. Uh, part of the reason is because, so standard guitar tuning is E. Every Metallica song these early days was written in standard E tuning. But for this song, they down-tuned one whole step to D. When you down-tune a guitar, you get a lower range sound. Sometimes you get a muddier sound if you get too low and some might argue you get a heavier sound. Um, basically, every new metal band of the late 90s, early 2000s down-tuned their guitars, which is why their music sounds a little bit muddier than a Metallica or a Megadeth. And there's nothing wrong with down-tuning. Nothing at all. Uh, same as there's nothing wrong with playing in standard E-tuning. But I always like it when bands base their tunings on what is right for the song rather than just tuning their guitars because it's, you know, the thing to do. So I like that Metallica took, made that artistic decision and took a risk in writing something truly unique, but still so heavy. They maybe are not playing fast in this song, but they sacrificed absolutely zero aggression zero ferocity, zero heaviness. Joel McIver says it is the heaviest song they've ever recorded. And he might, even since Death Magnetic and Hardwired, Hardwired to Self-Destruct has come out, he might still be right. Um, I cannot hear this song, though, without mentioning Dream No More, especially since I just mentioned the Hardwired album, which has a similar feel. It's a super heavy song and references Cthulhu as well. So H.P. Lovecraft, famous horror author, his work keeps showing up here throughout the career of Metallica. First in the instrumental, The Call of Cthulhu of Ride the Lightning, then in this song on Master of Puppets, and later on on Hardwired with Dream No More. So I know that Cliff Burden was a big Lovecraft fan. I know that Hatfield is a big Lovecraft fan. So I'm sure that's where that influence comes from. Welcome Home Sanitarium, track four on the album. We mentioned the formula that Metallica created on Ride the Lightning and how Master Puppets sort of copies that formula. Well, Ride the Lightning had Fade to Black, their first ballad ever at track four. 
and this album has Sanitarium. And track four seems to be a popular track for a ballad in the Metallica catalog, because you can also include one, you can include The Unforgiven, you can include The Unforgiven 2. It just seems like a good spot on album, I guess, for a ballad. It does work with the overall flow of an album. And I'm always constantly arguing with myself about what my favorite Metallica ballad is. I listen to Fade to Black, I go, yep, it is definitely this one. Then I listen to one, and I say, yep, it is definitely this one, as my this one is my favorite. And then I listen to Welcome Home Sanitarium, and I think the same damn thing. This one is my favorite. This one is the best. Well, since Master Puppet's my all-time favorite album, I guess if I have to choose one, I'm gonna choose Welcome Home Sanitarium. But that's like choosing your, you know, favorite child, I guess. I, I have no clue. Not sure why I said that. I had no kids, so I have no clue what that is like. But, anyways, lyrically, this song is about uh, literally being locked away in an insane asylum uh, in a sanitarium. It was based on the book One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it follows uh, the pattern of those early metallic bouts I already mentioned, Fate to Black and One, respectively, where you have a softer verse you build up for the heavy chorus and then the song just goes on a freaking freight train to hell the second half with guitar solos and harmonies and just all this cool crazy wackiness as I feel Lars Ulrich would describe it as. the ballad at track four metallica always has to come back and rip your freaking face off at track five love that introduction which going back to time signatures today let me put my music teacher hat back on one and two and three and four five six one and two and three and four five six that is in six four another odd time signature and what i love about metallica according to interviews I've read and seen of the one specifically stands out on the S&M documentary they're speaking with James Heffield and he's like yeah all these you know all the musicians and they're like how did you write this part in 6-4 and 5-8 and he's like I have no clue what you're talking about it just came out of me he has no clue about time signatures and all this nerdy music teacher stuff I keep spewing at you but as the, the nerd as the teacher uh I find it captivating and interesting when these little oddball meters and whatnot come up in music. So anyways, I'll stop talking about that now. <laughs> but, uh, Disposable Heroes. Love that introduction. Super heavy. Great song. Lyrically about manipulation of the military being a brainwashed soldier. Definitely an anti-war song if I've ever heard one. And that word manipulation keeps coming up, you know? 
being manipulated by the music and battery, being manipulated by the drugs and master puppets, being even manipulated by the mental health system and welcome home sanitarium, and now being manipulated by the war, military. Manipulation keeps coming up as a theme here on the Master Puppets album. And that theme's going to continue into the next song, Letter Messiah. have done a count-in at the start of this song, but for some reason, that was always one of my favorite parts of this track, hearing Lars Ulrich at the beginning go, one, two, one, two, three, four, and then the band kicks in. Um, great song. Every song of this album's great, but this is probably, if I'm going to be honest, my least favorite track out of the eight on Master Puppets. Love the song. Great song. My all-time favorite album of all time. But if I have to choose a least favorite out of the eight, this is my least favorite of the eight. But, again, manipulation keeps coming up as a theme here on the album. Televangelism. Really big in the 1980s. Still big. People are still losing money to these con artists. But being manipulated by religion and by these scams that these people are somehow able to get away with to this day you know we keep using the word but it is so accurate for so many of these songs manipulation now interesting musician tidbit is that we talked before uh, when I was speaking about battery I mentioned how uh Lars keeps changing the backbeat to the typical 2-4. 1, 2, 3, 4. 1, 2, 3, 4. To being on 1 and 3. 1, 2, 3, 4. 1, 2, 3, 4. Well, sort of similar in Leper Messiah is that the guitars are being accented to the 1 and 3, which is contradicting what Lars is doing in the backbeat on 2 and 4. The guitars are going, damn, damn, 1, 3, 1, 3. And the drums are going, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So just as sort of an interesting musician uh, tidbit for you all. Um, kind of creates this off-kilter sounding riff. Really cool. Really well done. Now, the name Leper Messiah is actually taken from the song Ziggy Stardust by the late, great David Bowie. The lyric comes in the final verse of the song. Bowie sings, Making love with his ego, Ziggy sucked up into his mind, like a leper messiah. When the kids had killed the man, I had to break up the band. I'm actually going to play you that snippet of the song so you can hear it in context. So here is the last verse of Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. Listen for the leper messiah line. Making love with his ego Yeah, sucked up into his mind oh, Like a lemon 
Orion. What can be said about this song? So, some of the information I'm sharing with you is off the top of my head because my brain is filled with useless information. Well, I, I guess it's not useless if you're recording a Metallica podcast, but it's useless in every other aspect of my life. Um, but some of this information I did research. So I did take some notes in preparation for this episode because I am a podcast professional. Underneath Orion, though, the only note I took was Cliff Burden. I've already said without Cliff Burden, I would have never picked up the bass. He is my all-time favorite bass player, and Orion is his showcase, in my opinion. Yes, we have Anastasia Pulling Teeth, an amazing bass solo that revolutionized metal bass playing but Orion is his masterpiece and it is also my favorite Metallica instrumental it is so atmospheric so unique I am in love with the song and I have a fond memory of being in high school, sitting down on my living room sofa. I had headphones going to a disman, listening to Orion. I had my bass in my hands, and I just listened to Orion over and over again. And I learned the middle section, the do 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 taught myself that part and then started figuring out uh, the other bass solos and the other bass lines in the song and just pieced the whole thing together and because of that memory I have a very personal connection to this song and I'm so happy that Metallica has uh, started performing this song live more frequently it's such a great tribute to Cliff Burden Robert Trujillo does an amazing job of duplicating burden in his parts but doing it in his own style in his own way and i just love this freaking song
now time for the final song on the greatest album of all time, at least in my opinion, talking about Damage Incorporated. A song about manipulation, being manipulated by violence, talks about unnecessary violence, at least that is my interpretation of it. I love the lyrics to this song. The lyrics are so badass. You sing along to the song and feel like you can do anything. And the line that always stood out to me, which is probably one of the most famous lines in the song, fuck it all and fuck it, no regrets. Which, of course, gets referenced again in the song Saint Anger. Um, just love the song. This is just full balls-to-the-wall thrash freaking metal, man. And I love it. Um, probably, hands down, one of, if not my favorite thrash metal song. Period. I really like the introduction to the intro. super creative. Uh, Cliff Burden, again, being the bass genius that he is, layered bass chords, played them in reverse, and it created this orchestral sound. And he says he was inspired by Come Sweet Death by Johann Sebastian Bach and the intro to that song. And I, I read something that said he played it for Kirk Hammett, and Kirk was like, Cliff, I do not hear the resemblance at all. Like, you... Because... Cliff was afraid that it sounded too much like it, like he it was going to sound like a ripoff of Bach. Uh, but Kirk was like, I do not hear the resemblance at all. But I am actually going to play the beginning of Come Sweet Death, and I'm going to let you decide. And maybe you can share your opinion with me on Twitter, again, at MetallicastPod. So here is the beginning of Come Sweet Death by Johann Sebastian Bach. I'm going to let Bach play us out as I conclude this track-by-track breakdown of my all-time favorite album, Master of Puppets. I hope that you found it informative. I hope that you found it entertaining. I tried to mix it up from song to song, share some personal stories, share some musician tidbits, share some backstory on the songs with some facts I knew and researched and whatever. Hopefully, it was never too in the weeds. Hopefully, you want to hear more of it. You can let me know on my Twitter at MetallicastPod. Let me know what you want to hear more of, less of, if I should keep doing the exact same thing. So I do, like I said before, 
want to do more track by track breakdowns. Ultimately, I want to do all the Metallica albums. So I want to make it a good experience for you, the listener. So let me know. Um, if you do like what you hear, please go to iTunes. If you've not subscribed, please do so. Download, leave a review. I've had a few people leave positive reviews and it's much appreciated. The more reviews, the more downloads, the bigger this podcast can grow and the more stuff I'll be able to do. So thank you and please continue to help spread the word. I already mentioned my Twitter a bunch of times, but I'll mention it one more time at Metallicast Pod. Besides iTunes, you can find this uh, podcast on our home site, fans.experts.com, at fans.experts on Twitter. So if you're tuning in for the first time, I like to end each episode with a cover of a Metallica song. I gotta go with an Orion cover, and I've there's a lot out there to choose from. Um, I thought about doing a classical interpretation of it, but the last couple episodes I've already sort of gone that route, so I decided to go a very metal route, and I'm going to be playing an Orion cover by the death metal band Decrepit Birth. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah!
Fabs not experts.